This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 243. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today, I have a wonderful guest for you. Her name is Dr. Danny Rabwin, and she's a veterinarian, a mentor, and the founder and CEO of Ready Vet Go. Welcome to the podcast, Danny. I'm so thrilled to meet you and so happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to meet you too. I think this will be fun. Yeah, we were chatting for a few minutes before we started recording, and we we kind of have the same uh, philosophy, I think. So we're going to have a good time. Exactly. So I always ask every guest on the podcast to tell me their veterinary story. I like to hear as much or as little as you want to share. You can start from when you were a kid or wherever, wherever you think it starts for you. That sounds like opening a whole can of worms to ask everybody. I love, I love (laughs) that stories because it just, it helps bring us back to that mindset that we had when we were so thrilled to get into vet med. Yes. That's why I love it. I want everybody's story. In fact, I'm I'm hoping to write a book on everybody's veterinary story after doing all these podcasts. Oh, so I, I'll, I'll be I'll be contacting you to share your story. Yes, I love my story, and I would definitely read your book. And I think it's so interesting to ask people what their story is because you're right; it does really remind people of that spark and what got them into this profession in the first place. And I think people lose sight of that. Yeah, and we, we do that a lot in our mentorship program. We have them, you know, mentees write out their big why, why did they get into veterinary medicine? And um, so my story, I I did want to be a veterinarian from the time I was quite small. I did love animals and I really liked science. For me, the reason that I really decided to get into veterinary medicine is because of the relationship that my family had with our family veterinarian. Mm. He felt like a part of our family. Mm. And the story that I remember is when I was quite young and my dad took our beloved pet, Sam, into the clinic to be euthanized. And I I didn't go with him, but our family vet knew that I had a really close relationship with this pet. And he called us to express condolences that night when we were all sitting around the family dinner table. Mm. And it was a very intentional phone call. And I got on the phone with him and I was very young and I don't really remember what the context or the exact words were in the conversation. But when I hung up the phone, I said, I want to be just like him. And I remember this so clearly. I wanted that feeling of being a part of these big decisions in people's families. And that's something that over the years, as I have realized that my love for veterinary medicine So much of it is because of the relationships that I have with my clients. I have been able to look back on that memory and realize that really was the spark for me. So everything I did after that point as a young person was designed specifically to get into veterinary school. Every part-time job, every camp, every class I took, everything was to get to veterinary school. Isn't that amazing thing though, that that veterinarian did for you? Because I, I talked to a lot of veterinarians and 
we were so frightened to reach out after euthanasia. Yes. We like to send the cards and, and do all that, but the face-to-face -face or the phone call, everybody's so hesitant to make. And every time I've ever made one of those phone calls to a family, it's been a beautiful experience. Even if the emotions are still raw and they're still upset, it seems like that personal touch is so important. It really is. And I agree with you. Every time I've done it, it's been very special. And as I tell the story and realize how meaningful it was for me, it makes me realize how often I don't do that. We know we don't do it enough. Yeah, I agree so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I didn't want to interrupt. So keep going. No, no, it was just a, <laughs> it, it, it was, was a really a special thought. part. Like, of we need to do that more. We, I, I think we do. And I think we can, and it's a good reminder. And I even like telling the story because it even reminds me, you know, because I'm still in, in the clinic a couple of days a week now. And, um, this is something that I always like to bring back into my own practice. Love it. Um, so the veterinary journey continued. Like I said, everything I did was to get into veterinary school. I even in college became obsessed with Egypt and I did a year abroad in Cairo oh, wow. and it was at the American university. So everything was in English, but nice. I took organic chemistry that year because I was not getting off the pre-vet track. So it was a lot of Egyptology and Arabic and organic chemistry, which was terrible. Nice. Um, <laughs> so, um, and then I, I applied and did not get in the first time, which I always feel like I should share because it's a challenging journey. I didn't either. You didn't? Yeah. Nope. It's so no, I, I, nope, I didn't. Yeah. It's a very common scenario. And I was actually quite grateful because I was just so singularly focused on veterinary school that I didn't have too much of a social life and gave up a lot of things. So that year in between undergrad and veterinary school was actually fun. I worked for a veterinarian who became one of my early mentors and she's still a really important person in my life. And then I went to veterinary school at UC Davis. And it was a wonderful experience. I started in 2000. I graduated in 2004. I was part of the first leadership program that they had at UC Davis for incoming veterinary students. And that was really fun. That was a Dr. That. Peter Weinstein program. And so we were the first group that did that. And some of my best friends to this day, I met in that leadership program and then I went to your neck of the woods for my internship. I did an internship at Michigan Veterinary Specialist. Oh, yeah, that is my neighborhood. Like but, really your neighborhood? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Michigan, we, yeah. we refer there all the time. Oh, that, that's where I did my internship in 2004. I loved it. And I always knew I was going directly into general practice and they were extremely supportive of me doing an internship with a, a very specific goal of GP, which I very much appreciated. And I worked, went back to California where I'm from after my internship. And I got a job at a group of three practices. There were two day practices and one 24 hour clinic. And I worked at the 24 hour clinic doing some overnights and some day practice. And I stayed with that group for many years, eight years, and then moved up to the Bay area where I am now. And I started a practice where I've been, I just celebrated 10 years at this practice and I've always done emergency relief on the side because I really love emergency medicine and I'm no longer doing that full time. So I do relief on the side and I've always loved mentoring and was always the point mentor for any new grads that came into our practice. And in 2020, I had a mentee who was the spark for my current journey, which is my 
new remote mentorship program that I launched last year. That's yeah. my my veterinary journey in a nutshell. I love it. So tell me what you love about mentorship. Oh, and then we'll talk I, about your business. I love mentorship because first of all, it's very much a two-way process. You know, I learn as much from the mentees as they learn from me. For sure, yeah. And, you know, after almost 20 years in this profession, the there are new things that I need to become aware of. And I really count on my mentees to share those with me. I know you, th- you think it's, uh, you should be more on my side where it's even a little bit longer since vet school. Right. Yeah. Even when I go back to relief, it's like, oh, they changed something again already. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I love working with new and early career veterinarians while they are very excited to join this profession. It reminds me why I was so excited to join this profession. Mm-hmm. And I love helping new veterinarians find their own authentic voice. You know, I always say, we always say this, this is an art. I do not believe that there is one way to practice medicine. I don't believe there's one way to communicate with clients. I don't believe that there's really one way to do anything. So I don't impress upon my mentees, my way of doing things. I really like to help encourage them to find their own way of doing things that feels comfortable to them and to watch them grow and come up with their own techniques and phrases that they use for communicating and how they're going to practice medicine is really exciting for me. Yeah. Like coming up with those spiels, I call it. Yes. I used to listen through the door to one of my, um, when I first started at the practice that I eventually owned, one of the doctors there was a bird vet and I really wanted to do birds, but I didn't have a ton of training. So I used to stand outside the exam room door and like press my ear up against it and listen to all of his verbiage. Yes. How he explained feather picking and how he explained nutrition and and I learned so much from just listening. And my and my other vet that I worked with always had like this closing line where he would like kind of sum up the visit. And it always sounded so pleasant and welcoming and open. And I, you know, just to have that kind of um, like almost like a script in your head that you, this is how I talk to clients and listening to other people gives you a lot of ideas and then you can make it your own. I love that so much. As you're telling that story, I'm remembering all of the things that I say that I have taken from colleagues. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. So many of us do that. My, my quality of life spiel and end of life spiel, as you put it, came directly from a veterinarian who was in practice during my internship. And one thing that that I just had a memory of as you were speaking is my, my very first job. I had a desk that was next to a very experienced veterinarian and she was so lovely and so warm. And every evening we would both sit down at our seats next to each other and we would start calling our clients with lab results and she would go over everything and have these discussions. And at the end of the conversation, presumably the person on the other end would say, thank you. And she would always say, it's my pleasure. And she meant it so deeply and it I had never said my pleasure. <laughs> I wanted to say that. And I practiced it over and over until it felt comfortable to me. And now I just say it all of the time. But I just, I wanted to express that, that feeling of warmth. It really was her pleasure. And it, it is mine too, when I say it. So yeah, yeah, I love taking things from other people. Right. And I think, I think when you're teaching new veterinarians, it's so important for them to understand that 
it's personality driven in a lot of ways. Like I speak differently than somebody who has a different personality than I do because I'm very direct and I'm fast paced and somebody that's very detailed is going to present things differently. And that's all okay. Like it, it sounds different when I say it than when you say it, but as long as the client is feeling cared for, that's what's important. Exactly. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell me about the, tell me about Ready, Vet, Go and how that all came about. Tell me the history of that. And then we'll talk about some other stuff. I have a lot of questions I want to ask you. (laughs) Yes. So Ready, Vet, Go has a fun origin story. The practice where I'm still currently working is a six doctor practice. And we had five veterinarians because of the veterinarian shortage problem. We're all so intimately familiar with. Mm-hmm. And we are very, very busy. And there was this kind of unofficial, no new grad policy because of the assumption at that time that a new veterinarian would be very time and labor intensive to onboard. And we were all just underwater ourselves and who was going to have time to do it. And this went on for a couple of years. And it was the desk next to mine in the doctor's office that was vacant. And I just stared at this vacant desk thinking if we had somebody in that desk, I wouldn't be quite so underwater myself. And I went to management and I said, we have got to bring somebody on. And I was always the the mentor for any new veterinarians who had come in previously. And I said, we really need to bring on a mentee. And I know it's gonna take some time away from what I'm seeing, but I think it's going to be worthwhile in the long run. And so we negotiated a slight decrease in my caseload for a period of time and a slight increase in pay, which I felt was important since I was going to be doing most of the onboarding. And I encourage any potential mentors in their practice to consider that because it is extra work. And management agreed and we brought on an amazing new grad. This was in June of 2020. And she was wonderful. She was a UC Davis grad. And we had a wonderful relationship. And after a short period of time, she was coming to me with questions about cases that I really had a feeling were not her own because I pretty much knew what her cases were. And it turns (laughs) out she was asking questions on behalf of friends and classmates who were around the country. Mm -hmm. And so here we are in July of 2020, we are mid pandemic and we're all used to being on Zoom. And I said, this is silly. Why don't we just get everybody together? Let's start a Zoom group. And so we did, we started an informal, very impromptu Zoom group with myself facilitating a bunch of new veterinarians. Included in this group was a classmate of mine who was an equine practitioner and she was transitioning into small animal. And she said, I have to be in that group. Oh, how fun. Yeah, it was so much fun. So we would meet at night in the evening after work, a couple of times a month. And we did this for about a year and everybody would bring a case or a challenge that they were having. And it was transformative for so many of us, especially for myself. I realized this is amazing. It it really lit a fire in me. I realized that a lot of the support that new and early career veterinarians need can actually be done remotely. And I looked around to see if there were any remote mentorship programs at the time that existed and, and there were not. Things are popping up because mentorship is such a hot topic now. Yeah. And the more, the merrier we need as many programs as we can have to support all of these new veterinarians. Um, so I basically, I took copious notes throughout the year that we worked together and I looked back and I saw that there were 
there were a number of themes that kept presenting themselves and a lot of them were not medical. They weren't clinical. They were around communication, time management. How do I become a leader in my practice? And I came up with the top six themes that I felt kept coming up over and over again. And then I spent the next many months building out a curriculum and I launched my program officially in 2022. It's a fully remote, formal six-month mentorship program for new veterinarians. It's designed to help support the mentorship that's already taking place on the ground because, you know, a new veterinarian really will succeed well if there's somebody that they can call in if they drop a pedicle during a spay or need right. help on blocking. Yeah. Sometimes you or... need somebody like actually there. Yeah, yeah sure. exactly. Yeah. And can the you person... feel this? Does it, what does this feel like? What do you think yes. this is? Where do I put the needle in when I'm trying exactly. to drink the chest or the abdomen? Yeah. Like sometimes exactly. you actually need to be there. Yes, that's exactly right. So what we do cannot replace that because you do sometimes need somebody, even if it's just to say, yeah, that's exactly the right place. You put that needle or you've got this. Or, looks I like don't know. Good. I guess that sounds good. Yes. <laughs> I've, I've raised a lot of, of, when you said your practice didn't want to bring on new grads, when I owned my practice, I brought on a lot of new grads mm. and, it, and it is a little intimidating when you first start doing it because you're like, oh, is this going to be really hard? And what am I going to have to do to get them up to speed? But what I love about it is sometimes they come to you and you, you can just say, I don't know either. Let's call so-and-so, or let's just try this, or I've tried this before. It's kind of, that collaboration that's sometimes really fun too. The collaboration is so much fun. And I love being able to model saying, I don't know, because that's something that I think new vets really struggle with is we need. A, yeah. How do you say, I don't know. You right. have to be able to say it. Yeah, exactly. That's when they ask me, how do I say, I don't know. You just say, I don't know. Um, you know, and that's something that comes with, with confidence and, you know, even to this day, you know, I saw a patient a few weeks ago that, had a question. And I said, that is such a good question. And I really, I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to step out. I have a colleague who just came back from a conference and I feel like she went to a talk that was something around this. So if, if you don't mind, I'm going to step out and people are just so incredibly grateful. Or, you know, I might say, that's a great I question. That. I don't know. I'm going to look that up. I'm going to call you, or I'm going to send you an email tonight. So a lot of what we do with my mentees is we practice role-playing. How do we say, I don't know. And what follow-up statements can you have after that? And Role-playing is something we do a lot in our program and it's always very awkward and funny at the beginning and nobody wants to do it. And at the end of the six months, they're like, I've got some role-playing I need to cram in in our last session because after this, I'm on my own. And they realize that being able to practice saying awkward and uncomfortable things in a safe environment is a little bit easier than saying it for the first time in an exam room with a client while you're trying to think about all of the other things. Right, so. yeah, and and being open and able to deal with the, the comeback from the client when you don't quite know what it might be. I think that's why we're so afraid to say, I don't know. That's why we're so afraid to have conversation with clients is because they are unpredictable. And for some reason, I don't know if vet school beats it out of us, but for some reason, we don't, we don't want to say, I don't know. And we don't want to, <clears throat> we don't want to feel awkward. Like we have a fear of that feeling of mm -hmm. I don't know what to say, or I don't know what to do. And so now I just have to sit here. You know, I just had that, this experience on Monday. I was kind of telling you before we got on here that we had a client come in very, very, very distraught and just like over the moon in grief. And there really isn't anything I can say 
But if I can go in that room and just listen to him and be there and, and have that empathetic energy in the room for him and understand where he's coming from, that's golden. But that's a, that's a really uncomfortable feeling until you practice that skill. It is. It's such a good point. And I'm going to just collect the phrase. Um, what did you say? Empathetic energy. Yeah. I, I really, because, I like that. Because that's really something, right? It's really hard yeah. to stay very calm and open to all that negative emotion. Like we're so afraid of feeling that emotion. And here's my life coaching coming out. We're so afraid of that emotion that we, we don't want to deal with it. And we put up these walls. Well, if you put yes. up a wall to somebody that's angry and upset and grieving, they feel that they feel that wall and they get more yes. angry rather than if you can just like be a sponge and absorb all that negative energy, but still stay calm and don't take it personally, then they can get that grief out of their body and then become more reasonable. And so, you know, I, I'm just, I'm so excited that you're teaching new veterinarians, these skills. Cause it, yes, I don't know if vet school doesn't have time for it or they don't think it's important. Right. It really, I think it's a lot of the reasons that people don't want to stay in vet med is they don't want to deal with that. I agree. And I think some of the veterinary schools are getting better about teaching this, but these they're, they take time and not a lot of vets in busy practices have time to teach these skills. And that's why I think, you know, kind of outsourcing it to somebody like you or myself um, is really helpful because these are teachable skills. And it's just a, a matter of kind of retraining our brain a little bit. You know, when somebody's coming at us with all that anger, we sometimes take it personally, we get defensive, we want to fix it. And if we do what you're yeah. saying, you know, we sit and we listen and we just take a deep breath, we can really shift that energy in the room. And I think there are a lot of us who intuitively do that and um, probably don't talk about it quite as much. And I imagine, you know, there's a similar way of communicating with clients for those of us who have been doing this for a number of years and still really enjoy it because we have figured out some of those teachable skills, um, how to diffuse difficult situations. Yeah. And maybe we just stumbled across it because we had good mentors in practice that we listened to and the observation, or it was just the, the constant doing it over and over again that we got good at it. Yes. You know, because that's what I'll tell some of my younger vets. It's like, look, it's really going to be hard at first. It's not mm -hmm. going to be easy. You're going to mess up. You're going to get defensive. You're going to say something you shouldn't have said. Like, and then you just come out of the room and you were like, and you just think, okay, well, that didn't go very well. What did I say? What did I do? What could I do differently next time? And not, not like beat yourself up over it. Just be like, That's okay, right. next time I'll do different. Next time I'm going to try this instead. So I love that. Exactly. It's a constant, it's constant learning. You know, one of the things that That's I, about it, it's makes it really fun. I completely agree with you. One of the, after I did my first mentorship, my first formal cohort, and I sent out surveys and asked for things that I could do differently or improve upon the program. A common request I received was that my mentees wanted to see me in action in exam rooms that, you know, some of the videos that they saw in veterinary school were actor based and that they wanted to see me doing some of the things that I teach them. So I did, I recorded dozens of videos and I was able to look back and watch myself. And I learned a lot about <laughs> some of the ways that I communicate. And in my current cohort that's launched this week, the online platform has a bunch of videos of me in the exam rooms. And I am not shy about saying, watch video three and 
you know, if you, once you get to the middle, you're going to notice some really awkward things that I said, <laughs> why don't you drop in the chat here a way that you might've said that differently <laughs> because right. I too, I'm still a work in progress. <laughs> well, everyone is right. Yes. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it or how experienced you are. You're going to have days when it goes better than others. Mm -hmm. And I think if, I think if you can remember that, that's super helpful. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Some people think that you have to have it all together to do this job and it's not true. So practically speaking, when you're doing the ready vet go, is it just something that somebody can like go to your website, sign up for, and then they're enrolled in a six month class and, and they're, they're with other veterinarians. Like you did the zoom calls when you first started doing it. Is it like a group? Yes. So it's fully cohort based. So we have groups of around 12 generally. And no, they do not just go to the website and sign up. They can go to the website, get lots of information, send a request for a discussion. But the program is paid for by practice owners or mm -hmm. management or leadership teams. A big it. part of our mission is to decrease turnover of new grads in their first practice. There's a very high turnover rate. It's 30% of new grads, they say, leave their first job within a year. And that's really high. And I think when I look at early career veterinarians who are satisfied in their career, they are often ones who have not bounced around in that first one to two year period. And so um, we, we work specifically with the practice owners to enroll their new veterinarians so that we can help kind of support what the practices are uh, practice value, practice philosophy, that sort of thing, so that we can help decrease turnover of those new veterinarians that they've hired. They've hired. We want them to have a good return on their investment, since new grads really are an investment. It takes them a while to get up to speed with production and their caseload and that sort of thing. And so, um, we want to help support those practices. So, we have independent practices and corporate groups who enroll new grads in our program. Everybody starts together as a cohort. We work together for six months. So there are both synchronous and asynchronous components to the program. The asynchronous component is an online um, platform with six different modules. Each module is for one month. So one once a month for six months, there are videos, handouts, tools, challenges, all kinds of things within each module that they can progress through on their own time. We meet together once a month as a full cohort. We have a 75 minute meeting, which is very interactive. We usually have a guest speaker on to talk about that month's topic. Okay. So for example, we have you know, month one is client communication. So I'm the speaker for month one. I just love talking about client communication. <laughs> I do too. I always tell people I, I love conflict and they're like, what? what? I say that all the time. They're like, oh, I hate conflict. I'm like, oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I really do. I, it's personality. You, I you are unique. <laughs> well, I, and I, the way I explain it is I love it because what I love about it is, is if there's like this tense high situation, that's conflict based. I love being the person that can like get everybody turned around on the same page and then have it end happily. Like that, mm. that's what I love about it. Mm. I don't yes. love the actual fighting, although sometimes that's fun too, but <laughs> I, 
I do. I like trying to be the person that can figure it out and get people back together again. And I think my um, daughter says I'm an ENFJ in the Myers-Briggs and we mm. like harmony and we like, you know, that's kind of our MO is making sure everybody's happy and taking care of. And so that's why I say I love conflict. Yeah. And the way you describe it makes me think of like, it, it seems almost like more veterinarians ought to like conflict because the way you describe it almost sounds like a puzzle. It's and fun. that's so much of what we do is solving problems and then you know, coming up with this resolution. Right. And so it's I think it, the it word. really fits. People are afraid of that word, mm-hmm. the emotion. So I yep. say, well, think of it as a negotiation or a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's different than, if you think of it as conflict, it sounds scary. But if you say, right. I'm going to negotiate this problem to make get it to a resolution, that doesn't sound as scary. Same skill. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, so yes, yeah, so we have guest speakers who come on for every month to talk about that month's topic and they stay for a Q&A. I generally come up with some role-playing or activities for the participants to do when they're on these meetings. These meetings are really fun. They're extremely interactive. We dive really deep into that month's topic. So those are once a month for the six months. I should backtrack a little bit and say we have a kickoff meeting um, before the program before we we dive into module one. And in our kickoff meeting, we do a mentee skills training because one of the areas that I think is missing when we talk about mentorship, we put a lot of the onus on mentorship onto the mentor. And I think a lot of it needs to be on the mentee. And there are skills that can be taught to empower new and early career veterinarians to take accountability for their own learning, become excellent self-directed learners, to become excellent mentees. And I developed a program that is adapted from the Western College of Veterinary Medicine in Saskatchewan, where they train their veterinary students how to become excellent mentees. It's a mentee skills course. So we do a mentee skills training course at the beginning, and we invite all of the leadership teams, in-house mentors that are on the ground in the practice, medical directors, anybody from the leadership team who's there to support the new veterinarian joins the mentee skills training meeting so that we're all on the same page about the tools that we're teaching the mentees to become excellent mentees. So that's at the beginning. And then we do the six months of meeting that correspond to each month's topic. In addition, the mentees are broken down into pack groups And pack groups are small groups, usually two to four veterinarians with a mentor on my team. And pack groups meet twice a month, usually in the evening for an hour. And those are basically ask me anything kind of meetings. This is where the veterinarians can bring any question that they're having. They are welcome to bring a medical question. They are welcome to talk about some conflict that they're having in the practice anything is fair game. We generally try and structure these meetings to be after hours so they can be home, they can have some tea or a glass of wine and just be a little bit more open and vulnerable. And they're quite similar to the early meetings that I had with my impromptu Zoom group that I was sharing with you that sparked Ready Vet Go. And these meetings are very, very transformative. It's where a lot of growth happens. These pack groups become very close. They really rely on each other and they work together with their mentor for the six months. At the end of the six month program, everybody receives 12 units of race approved CE. 
and they have an opportunity to stay on with their community of other veterinarians who have been through the program. And we will do once a month, just kind of get togethers, check-ins, maybe have guest speakers so they can stay part of the Ready Vet Go community and have ongoing support afterwards. So they are, um, it's very robust. We come at it from many different angles because we understand that there are many different learning styles. And so we try and provide lots of opportunities for people to learn and grow. Um, and, and that's our program. And I'm, I'm really proud of it. I'm proud of what we've built. I'm really proud of our mentors. Our mentor team is growing. Um, we have amazing mentors who all, well, I say must love vet med. You know, we, we are cheerleaders <laughs> for our profession. Exactly. We want them to still have a wonderful, positive attitude towards veterinary medicine and enjoy what they do. They need to have been in clinical practice for at least 10 years. We feel like experience really matters. And it's very important to me that our mentors have held a leadership position within their practice, either have been a practice owner or a medical director or something similar. So they really understand how a business runs. You know, we are a business and we want to help support support that business. It's an important part of our job that we don't always love talking about. And I want to have mentors who really understand that so that we can help the practices who pay a financial investment to enroll their new grads in our program to make sure that they do get a good return on their investment um, and that their new grads are brought up to speed. So those are the the requirements for our mentors. And we have a, an amazing group of, of mentors that work with us. I love that. So, so communication do you have a, a leadership mod module? Is that one of the modules? It's not called leadership. That would be our um, practice culture module. So we talk about oh, fitting in with culture. practice culture. And so one of the pieces of practice culture is learning how to be a leader in the practice, how to transition from being a veterinary student into the role as doctor, how to fit in with all of the various different roles within the practice. In the practice culture module, we talk about how the new veterinarians are adding cultural value to their practice and financial value to their practice. So we, we, it's, it's quite broad and the leadership piece is definitely a part of that module. Yeah. I love that. I like that you call it practice culture because that's something that I think most practices can benefit from improving. I think so too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's always a little bit of room for improvement. I mean, everything we talk about, you know, when I'm sharing with people, this program that I have for new veterinarians, they say, well, everybody kind of needs what you're talking about. Can't we just do this for everybody? I'm like, yes. Well, we that was kind of it's funny that you say that because um, in Michigan, I, I'm pretty involved with the MVMA, the Michigan Veterinary Medical Association. And about 10, 15 years ago, they started this Power of 10 Leadership Academy. Yes. Is, it's about leadership, kind of what you're talking about. We talk about a lot of very wide range of things, but it's it's mostly directed towards leadership. But it's a group of, you know, maybe under five years out of school veterinarians. And then mm -hmm. um, I'm the mentor now of that group. Um, but what's fascinating about that is when they first started it, I, I was like, well, what about the older people? What about the people that have been out of school 15 or 20 years? We want to do this. This is mm -hmm. And I kept like pushing them and pushing them to have it for older people. Mm -hmm. So I really, I think that's fascinating that you say people are interested in your pro program as well. Mm -hmm. So would you ever expand into, into mentoring older veterinarians or veterinarians with, I don't know, other issues. Here's my life coaching again, because <laughs> I, I coach all ages, anywhere from vet students to people, you know, my age or a little bit younger. So 
is that something that you're considering down the road? I know you're fairly new. Yes, I have so many ideas. I do, you know, through this and having with people, I have been asked to do private coaching with veterinarians of all levels of experience. So I do sort of on the side private coaching, which has been really, really fun. Yeah. And yes, I would love to expand some of the content to more experienced veterinarians. I think the next phase that we're going to move into will be train the trainer and mentor training, since that's something that people want a lot of. Um, so that's something that I'm exploring and doing my, my research on. Um, but yes, I mean, there's so much opportunity for, for growth right now. I feel like we're, I want to grow out men, ready, vet, go, um, mentorship program to be very robust and, and wonderful. So we're, yeah. we're taking it slowly and focusing on what we really, really do well, and then we'll expand it out. Yeah. So is this your first entrepreneurial endeavor or is that kind of your personality? Do you love entrepreneurship? No, this is my first entrepreneurial endeavor. (laughs) I I like entrepreneurs. So that's why I always ask, like there's, I think there's a specific way that they think, like, why do you think you want it? Why did, why did you want to be this entrepreneur? That is such a good question. Before we were recording, you mentioned Dr. Cindy Trice, who's a very good friend of mine. And she an is, entrepreneur. My, she is, she is my entrepreneurial spirit guide. Mm-hmm. She has been one of my closest friends since veterinary school. We met in that leadership program that I was sharing with you that nice. I did in vet school. And we met then and Cindy has always, she has an entrepreneurial mindset. Mm-hmm. And when I had this idea, it almost felt like I couldn't stop it. Couldn't not do it. I couldn't not do it. I I never wanted to own a practice. That did not sound fun for me. I was meeting with somebody else earlier today and I said, when I was a vet student, I was allergic to the VBMA. I just wanted nothing to do with business. <laughs> I didn't take any business classes. Now I'm involved with VBMAs and I love them. And I think everybody should do <laughs> what VBMA offers. It's not just business. But that was not my mindset. I really liked understanding the business of whatever practice I was working in. That was always really interesting to me from the perspective of just knowing how the whole practice ran. But I was always glad that at the end of the day, I was not the practice owner. I could just go home. And I always said, I am never going to own a business. That's not my thing. I thought I would just be in practice until I retired, which I was very, very happy to do. And I'm still very happy to do. But when I had my impromptu Zoom group and it was so exciting for me, I just felt this energy moving through me like I have actually never experienced before. I not only didn't think of myself as an entrepreneur, I also thought of myself who wasn't as somebody who was not creative. Mm. And I realize now that was just this mindset that I just had for 40 plus years. I am creative. I've That's created Chihuahua brain, I call it. Chihuahua? The Chihuahua brain, I call it. It's because you have that primitive brain that wants you to stay small and, yes. and not be afraid and not step out of the box and not. Yes, you know, that's why you had the mindset that you weren't creative. And here I love that you created this whole interesting idea. Yes, I created this interesting idea, and I've had the fun with the creativity around the name and the brand and the colors and all of the content and writing blogs and creating, creating, creating. It's like 
It's like nonstop. I read a few years ago, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And she talks about when she has an idea for a book, it's almost like this idea was like floating out in the universe and somebody needed to grab it and it might as well be her. And that this idea just moves through her and she puts it on the page. And I, I literally felt like that is what was happening. I couldn't not do it. And so I reached out to my good friend, Dr. Trice, and I said, I have this idea. I'm thinking of doing this. And should I? Oh, now you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, exactly. That's what she said. And yeah. so I did it. She gave me some great advice. She said, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, Vet Partners is a really wonderful organization for you to join to get involved with the vet the business side of, of veterinary medicine. So I joined Vet Partners, which has just been invaluable to me. It's a group of amazing professionals who support the veterinary profession. And I've learned a lot from them about the legal side and the business side and accounting and all of the things that I just was not an expert in. You know, I encourage people to outsource mentorship and I believe in outsourcing things that I am unfamiliar with. You know, I like to gather experts to help me with things. And so that's been a really amazing resource for me. I mean, the learning curve of being a business owner has been really new and it was a little bit intimidating at first, but now I find it, I find it quite fun, you know, at this age and stage in my life to be learning something brand new has been very exciting. And so now, yeah, I feel like an entrepreneur and who knows, who knows where it'll go from here. Well, so it's I, just like, I like to hear you say all these things about being an entrepreneur because veterinarians in, in practice, when they feel like it's getting too much and they feel like it's overwhelming, they, they think that they have to leave vet med in order to do something different. Like yeah. I, I did a lot in vet med. I'm still doing a lot in vet med. And then I started the whole life coaching thing for myself and the, in the profession. And so I like to talk to other entrepreneurs because you don't have to leave vet med in order to start anything. Like you could start an art business or you could start a, you know, like making jam or cookies mm. or, you know, but you can still be a vet and it can open up your life in a way that makes it exciting, learning something new. And I, I love hearing you say, I had to learn a whole lot of new skills. Yes, that is what's really exciting about this profession. It really can support you throughout all of these other things that one might want to explore. You know, we can still start a business and work in the clinic. You can do relief. I was fortunate enough that my clinic, you know, kept me on um, full-time, but fewer days, longer hours to support me while I was launching Ready Vet Go. And there are so many different directions that this can take. And that's been a really fun, interesting experience too, working with this business. You know, when you're in the clinic all day, every day, you know, it's easy to stay very narrowly focused on what's happening just inside those clinic walls. And it's been very fun for me especially being a people person and loving to connect with people to have experiences where I get to meet people like you and so many other amazing people who are in our profession and doing other things. Right. And I love hearing those and stories. Still loving vet med. Yes. While Not still like, loving Oh, I hated med. vet med so much. I had to get out of it. It's no, I loved it so no. much that I do that and whatever, whatever else. Yep. Exactly. Adding instead of subtracting, which I yes, love. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So tell me, are you optimistic about, I mean, I'm assuming that you are, but tell me why are you optimistic about our future? 
of where vet med is going because I there's so much negativity out in the world about vet med. And I think you and I are in agreement that we want to change that. So what is your thought on that? That is a really big question. The short <laughs> answer is a is resounding good. yes. I am optimistic about our profession. I felt 20 years ago that I was joining the best profession in the world. I feel today like I am in the best profession. I like to express that to anybody who is joining our profession. It certainly has its challenges and hardships, but so many other professions do as well. And I, to me, it, that is not discouraging. You know, when I work with so many new and early career veterinarians and I hear how they look at the world and their perspective and they are excited and they are smart and they are empathetic and caring, it makes me excited for the future of our profession. There's a lot about, you know, the direction that our profession is going in with, you know, vet med and corporate and all these other things that we talk about. And yeah, I don't know that, um, that I could comment on that so much specifically. I think I'm keeping a very open mind Mm -hmm. and I think we are problem solvers by nature. And I think we can adapt and change. And I think we're doing that. And I am optimistic and hopeful that we can. I'm also optimistic because I see that there are so many different groups and people and organizations popping up to support the veterinary profession, like what you're doing and what I'm doing. And that makes me very hopeful. So yes, I do feel optimistic about this profession. I love it. We're not going anywhere. People aren't getting fewer pets. We are needed. We are needed in this community. It's gotten huge. Yes. You know, I, I, I was telling somebody, um, and it always makes me sound old when I talk like this, but there were times when I first started doing vet med where you'd go for, you'd see like one client a day, two clients Hmm. a day. We'd be playing solitaire or playing, (laughs) you know, euchre in the back because it was a slow season. Cause I'm in Michigan and the winters used to be terribly slow. Mm -hmm. Like right after Christmas, nobody would come to the vet and, um, people didn't spend the money on their pets like they do now. And, um, it's just, it, I know sometimes we think, oh, we're so busy now that that's a problem, but I really don't think it is. I think it gives us power. I think there's so many more choices when we have this high of a demand. I agree with you. And I like thinking of it that way. It does give us power and we are in demand. And while we might feel overwhelmed with our caseloads now, I think we have the tools to be creative and think outside the box. And I don't even know what those things look like. You know, so I don't know where the, where we are going to be in a year or five or 10 or what direction our profession is going to go. But I think it's going to evolve in a way that we can adapt and continue to say that this really is an amazing profession. And I'll continue to be a cheerleader for our profession because I do love it. It's given me so much joy and I've seen it give joy to so many others. And I think the people who do have joyful, long careers sometimes aren't being heard. They're busy. They're busy in the clinic, loving their careers where they've been for 20, 30, 40 years. And I think a lot of the negative voices are loud. And a lot of the reasons behind it are not wrong. They are real. They exist. I don't want to move into any sort of toxic positivity territory. Um, (laughs) It's a term I heard. Um, I know. I hate, I hate that term, but I get it. Yeah. You know, like Mary Sunshine. 
And, right. you know, and that's not something you want to teach. Like it's right. It's good and bad. It's hard yeah. and easy. It's yeah. fun and terrible. You know, yes. like I came home that Monday after going through that crazy day. And I said to my husband, I'm like, whoo, that was a day. Cause he was calling me. Are you coming home? I'm like, right. yeah, but I've had a day I'm coming. He's like, your dogs need to eat and go out. I'm like, I'm coming. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was like, that was a day. You know, right. and, and a and and the reason it was a day is because of one bad thing that happened. Like the rest right. of the clients were lovely, everything was good. We just had one tragedy, you know, that happened to this poor man, and we had to deal with it. But I think it's one of those things that we let that one negative situation override all the good that we've had in that day. We we let it erase yes. it or something. We do. It's very common, and one thing that. I encourage my mentees to do is to keep a wins log. And in our pack meetings, we share our wins every day. And I think the wins far outnumber the one, you know, always case always. And yet I don't, you know, maybe it's human nature or, you know, you might know more about this with your coaching. (laughs) It's your chihuahua It likes to hold on to negativity. (laughs) It does. Yeah. And so by writing it down, you know, everybody who's in our program receives a hardbound journal in the mail and there's pages for their wins. And when I have mentees look back on their wins, they, oh, it's just, I really did have a lot of wins. And I really let that one bad thing cloud everything. And so if we can remember our daily wins, the small daily wins add up and they are so important. You know, I was on Instagram the other day and I saw a new veterinarian who I follow and she said, I just completed my first solo neuter. And I know that's probably not a big deal, but it, you know, it felt big for me. And I just, you know, I rarely comment. I just usually look at I comment and I said, it is a big deal. It's a really big deal. All of the things that went into that client, trusting you with their pet, knowing how to do the surgery, knowing what suture to pick, monitoring the anesthesia, doing all of the things. It is complicated. And if we minimize doing a neuter, I just think that is a real shame. I think it is a huge win. And there's dozens of small wins in that one experience. And so if we can remember those and point those out, I think hopefully we can kind of switch the narrative a little bit and um, add to the the positivity and, and joy while not ignoring the hardships and the sadness and the challenges, no, you have the things to. that come along with this profession. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to ignore the negative emotion no. that you're going to feel. And, right. and that's what, that's part of being alive is, is being able to feel that negativity and know how to handle it and get through it. And then it just makes the wins sweeter. Exactly. Stuff happens. It's like, oh, this is really good because I have this bad or whatever. Yes. Mm -hmm. So what surprised you about this business? Like what, because it's been what a year, right? You told me 2022 you started. Yeah. Our first cohort launched in 2022. I I started the business. Are you on your second six month class then or your This is my third. The Mm -hmm. third. Okay. Mm -hmm. So tell me what surprised you in, in doing that, that you didn't expect either personally or for your people. That is such a good question that I'm going to have to really pause and think about. Personally, the thing that surprised me is how much I would enjoy the business side of things, Mm. learning about the business, growing a business, networking with people who can help me with my business. That part has been a little bit surprising for me. 
And I'm really trying to lean into that and learn more and grow more. What has surprised me? Uh, I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna think of something after we hang well, up. That let me let me just while you're thinking, let me comment on what you just said. You're teaching veterinarians to be open to learning, to be better veterinarians, to get mentorship, to ask for help, to be open to that, to the I don't know, I don't know how to do this. Um, and that's what you're doing in your business now. You're being open to learning and you have to ask other people. And that is such a perfect skill for people to be humble and go to somebody that might know better, even older veterinarians going to younger veterinarians, which I do frequently. Mm -hmm. I would go to my newer vets and say, all right, here's what I would do. What would you do? You know, I, I hired another vet um, a couple years ago that uh, an exotic vet. And I've been the only exotic vet for a long time in my practice. And so I go mm. to conferences and things, but I've never gotten to work with anybody else that has been doing it. And so a lot of times I will ask her, well, how would you do this? What would you do here? You know, here's what I would do. What would you do? And just that collaboration is, is so fun. So for you to say that I'm learning yes. now, right. And you have to be humble enough to ask for the help. Yes. I have definitely had to be humble. And I don't, I, I do love hearing about that collaboration. There is so much yeah. that we can learn as experienced vets from new veterinarians who are coming in and sharing with us, especially about something like exotics. And um, yeah, we had a, a rat, a rabbit that needed to be spayed. And I have, you know, done some medicine with rabbits, but hadn't had an opportunity to do a spay. And we had our, our new veterinarian who was very skilled in that and walked me through the whole thing. And it was just a, a very much a role reversal that I loved so much. Yeah. yeah that's the way it should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was great. Um, surprises that I've had about the mentees. One thing that I'm, I was a little bit surprised about is, you know, speaking about the business side of things is how much they really love to learn about finances. Yes. My sixth module. So we end the program with flourishing finances love it. and we work with an amazing veterinarian and financial planner, Dr. Ryan Koopmans. He works at Vincere Wealth, which many veterinarians and veterinary groups are familiar with. And he is a veterinarian friend of mine who it's wonderful to have somebody who's a financial planner and also a veterinarian. So he comes on and speaks with the, the new grads. And we talk about setting up a budget, paying down student debt, saving for retirement. I have to be honest that I included that module because I just sort of felt like I should. You know, I felt like this is something that new veterinarians probably should they know worry about. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an area that I thought was particularly interesting as an early career veterinarian. They love it. <laughs> when the reviews come they, in at the nobody end, they teaches, say, nobody right? teaches you that they, they right. should teach you in high school, but they don't. Yes. They love it. So I was, I was quite surprised about that. Yeah. Um, I love that. I'm always surprised how many people work for veterinary hospitals where the owner or the manager won't share the finances with yes. the doctors. Yes. They're like, well, I want to get paid more, but they say I have to bring in more. And I'll say, well, how much are you bringing in? Oh, well, they won't tell me. Oh, I'm like, well, then how can you, how can you bring yeah. in more? If you don't even know, like that right. doesn't make any sense. So I think just knowing like what you should know as a young vet is important. Like what numbers should you yep. pay attention to at work for your yep. work career and how much you're getting paid? And then yes, yes, yes. 
invest your money, save your money, speaking as someone <laughs> who knows, mm-hmm. like that's, that's important. Yeah. It so is really I important. I love that you're teaching that. That's yeah. Great. And we, we talk about having conversations with management about how to get those numbers if they're not giving them to you, because that's right. something that um, people really struggle with is how do I even have that conversation? It can be quite nerve wracking. And so that's one yeah. of our role plays that we do. And right. we have a, a, a template with a, a list of questions that can be asked. And so, yes, we, we address all of that as well, because that is really important information to have. I love it. I love it so much. All right. So um, we've been going for a while. So what have I not asked you that I should have that we missed that we should talk about? You have covered so much how we got here. I, I could go on for another couple hours. So <laughs> I know I have so many questions for you. I'm like, I, should I have, a, a I have a lot for you too. So we'll have to do this again. Yes, this was, this was so much fun. I think the one thing that you haven't asked that we could end with is how do we enroll in ready, vet, go? How does that yes. work? Yes. Okay. Tell I me will, about that. I love that. We, we are so already we, taking... the practices enrolling. Correct. So, okay. so tell us uh, how to do that. Yes. So new veterinarians are welcome to contact us to put us in touch with their practice management teams, um, but they can go to our website, which is readyvetgo.co, just .co, to send us some information. I'm on LinkedIn. We are taking a wait list for our October cohort. Our July cohort, which launched this week, filled up very quickly. So we do have a wait list for October so people can get on the wait list. These are veterinarians who, um, the vets who are geared for this, this program is geared towards veterinarians who are like zero to three years out is kind of about the, the sweet spot. We okay. also have a program where medical directors or practice owners can enroll side by side along with their new veterinarian associate so they can see what we're teaching. What they're learning. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So they can send us an email, message us. I'll be happy to talk to somebody. Somebody from my team can talk to them and we can get on the wait list for the October cohort. We take veterinarians from independent practices. We work with a number of corporate groups. For corporate groups who are large enough and have enough new veterinarians for their own cohort, which is 12 plus, they can have their own cohort. Otherwise, their associate veterinarians would join a group of vets from all over the country. And has that been an issue for corporations to like double up? Do they ever have an issue like this corporation has six people and this corporation has six people and they don't want them to mix or is that not a problem? No, nope, it they has not been a problem. They don't about each other's practices. Or they do not. And that is certainly... Each other. Is that a rule? <laughs> no, that is certainly not the tone that we want to set. And it honestly has not been a problem. Now, awesome. not that it hasn't come up. It certainly has. People want to know what, what type sure. of tone do you set? How does that work? And right. what you know, does your we... company do? What does your boss do? Exactly. Yeah. And And in fact, I think there are some practice managers and leadership teams at corporate groups who really understand that there is value in having vets share and communicate with each other. Because honestly, when people are struggling or having a hard time, the grass sometimes looks greener at another clinic. And to hear that "Mm, these struggles are fairly (laughs) universal, regardless of where you are, Mm -hmm. um, I think that's actually quite good for them. And so if anything, I think it will help support that, you know, if if your practice is making an investment for you to participate in the program, they care about you and 
already we know that they have good values and um, are probably going to be, you know, hopefully a good fit. And we really want to help support that. So it has not been a problem. It has come up. We talk about it with management and uh, at, at corporate groups, but this this group that we have that that just launched, we have four different corporate groups represented for our um, veterinarians who are in this program. So, um, and that's how we've done it in the past as well. But we're happy to do groups for one one practice group if there are enough. There's definitely benefits to that as well. I love it. All right. Anything else you want to offer or say or before we wrap this up? No, just thank you so well, much. Now that we know each other, if we could probably get some more information together and have a, another conversation on the podcast. Yes, I, I would love to. Teach. Maybe we'll do a communication podcast or, you know, I usually pick a subject when I'm doing it yeah. by myself, but right. it's way more fun if I pick a subject and have somebody to do it with. So that maybe, would be uh, in your spare time. <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know you're working a lot and you're an entrepreneur, so there's not a lot of spare time, but I, I know, but to fit in things like that, that are fun with like-minded people who I connect with sounds, it does sound lovely. It sounds really fun. Okay. So they know where to find you. It is readyvetgo.co, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. And I'll put that in the show notes for everyone. Okay, great. So thank you all for listening today. I really appreciate you being here. And I thank you so much, Danny. This is Dr. Danny Rabwin, R-A-B-W-I-N. And I just appreciate her for being here so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Have a beautiful week, everyone. Bye. Bye, Danny.